Hey guys, it's Dimitri Yiannopoulos. This is episode 6 of the podcast. Because everyone's kind of busy right now and it was kind of difficult for me to find a guest, for the next two weeks it's just going to be me discussing a few things about my experience at UIC this week and for next week, uh, whatever comes to my mind, if there's a current event that interests me or anything like that, I'll talk about it. So in terms of my experience at UIC, uh, I think there's a lot of good at at UIC in the teaching of history program, and there's a lot that needs improvement. Uh, One thing I'd like to say is the faculty at UIC has been, they've been extremely friendly. A lot of people who I've met maybe once or twice have been so friendly to me. They've said, hi, how are you? I study this. And you get into a good conversation, especially going to the brown bag. I would say one of my most memorable moments at UIC was During the pandemic, they allowed undergraduate students into the brown bag. So you were able to talk with graduate students, professors about the election and what you think about it. And my views were not, may may have not been popular among some people, but I thought it was pretty interesting that I could express my views to other historians. I know some people were Marxist in there. Uh, I disagree with them, but that's going to be a debate for another day. But it was really interesting talking to a lot of people and saying, like, Trump is not going to go away. There's going to be some sort of attack uh, on democracy or something like that. Uh, I I predicted maybe a raid on the Capitol. I was correct, which was uh, kind of stunning. I didn't want to be correct, but a lot of the evidence was pointing towards that. But that was probably one of my most memorable moments at UIC. But in terms of uh, classes, I've enjoyed the most at UIC. I would say uh, in terms of the history department, History 400 with Professor Kim, I had Professor Kim on a few weeks ago, and I think his class, the way he structures it, where it's very discussion-based, where you do a reading and you discuss it, while earlier in the semester I did a lot of the readings because I found a lot of them interesting, but towards the end of the semester I was getting so busy I couldn't fully read a lot of them, I was kind of skimming, so that was probably one of my favorite classes. Another one of my favorite classes was during the pandemic was Herodotus with Professor Zinan Papakostadinu. Uh, I enjoyed it because I did not know who Herodotus was before that. I was not very familiar with the ancient world. I knew who Alexander the Great was. I was familiar with Athens versus Persia, but I was not familiar with the person, the source we have for that. So the source material still was interesting for me. I have not read all of it but I have read most of the famous parts and I've continued to read bits and pieces of it. And you, uh, you read something, a famous passage and you put your thoughts on paper. So having your thoughts on paper was an eye opening experience and it was very enjoyable for me to uh, be able to write and see what academics thought about Herodotus because a lot of Herodotus is kind of questionable and it kind of uh, gets me to why I picked Herodotus. He's, probably one of my favorite historians. He tries to tell history as like an epic battle. He doesn't care if it's true or not. That's not how I write history or a lot of people write history, but I think a lot of ancient historians are more relaxed. They don't really, they didn't really care about the authenticity. They were trying to tell a really good story. And I think that's part of the history. Sure, accuracy is extremely important, but they more so cared about more accurate a more uh, epic story, whether or not it was true. Hey, I don't know if it's true or uh, I don't know if it's true. So that's why I picked Herodotus. Obviously, 
I'm Greek, obviously, and uh, I have taken Greek at USC with Professor Anita Scarpathioti. She retired, so maybe I could have her on sometime, but I, I did enjoy learning Greek because I realized I took Greek, I went to Greek school for so many years, 10 plus years, and I didn't know anything about Greek. I didn't know the specific forms. Maybe I knew how to use them, but I didn't know what they were for. Like, for example, if you said I played all summer versus I played yesterday, those are two different forms. I didn't really know that at the time. I didn't differentiate. I had a lot of knowledge, but I wasn't able to com compact it because it was taught to me as a first language in Greek school rather than a second language. So it got me into a lot of trouble while I was in Greek class. So I had to challenge myself. So that's a really positive experience I had at UIC. And it was outside of the history department. It was in the classics department where I, lo I actually love the classics department. Uh, looking back at it, I probably should have gotten a classics degree on top of my history degree because of, cause of uh, so many of the classes uh, intersect. And you do similar skills like critical thinking, how to write. Uh, I'm still not a good writer, but I still... Um, love to write about history or any uh, any books I like to read. Like, for example, I picked up 1984 recently. I haven't been able to read it because I've been so busy, but I've read it, and I, I get why a lot of people like it. It's a very appealing book about a dystopian future. So, yeah, that's one major thing I really enjoy about UIC. In terms of improvement, uh, the Teaching of History program is wonderful. I love Julie. I had Julie on last week. I know a lot of people are complaining about how it's very difficult to get placed and there's lack of transparency. Like, for me, I'm not going to comment on that, but some transparency would be nice. But uh, I, I think the Teaching of History program is a very fantastic program to be able to have a history degree and also have that option to teach is something that was very appealing to me because as a historian, your job prospects are very limited because of uh, academia, how graduate degrees, there's graduate inflation. There's a lot of people who have PhDs or master's degrees, but they don't have jobs. So having the ability to teach at high school was really appealing to me. And I deal with uh, younger siblings. I have four younger siblings and I deal with them all the time and I help them write. I help, uh, Sometimes they'll ask me about some history, and I'll and I'll give them my honest opinion on something. And I think uh, that's something that's very wonderful to teach uh, the youth about history, not specific facts. Like I don't want you to know specific facts, but the skills associated with history, how to write an essay. Because no matter what job you go into, if you go into the trade, you might not be writing an essay, but if you're uh, in a trade and you're your own independent business. Owner, you're going to have to know how to write contracts, and certain writing skills are important. If you go into, let's say you go into STEM, you still have to know how to write. Their writing is a skill. You're going to have to write emails. You have to, that, that's a skill. Uh, it's a skill. And also, when you see a current event, you can make connections about what that current event entails, what it could entail. So you can make a lot of crazy what-ifs. I know a lot of historians don't really like doing what-ifs, but... I enjoy a lot of what-ifs, and I think about what if this happened, what if this happened, and being able to read. Uh, I know knowledge is power. That's one thing I genuinely believe, and I think uh, is a really necessary aspect to learning and education. And I think uh, one thing about history, and 
uh, other writing uh, disciplines is that uh, there's more of a mindset of of growth so you can grow like for example you're, you're not stuck there's not a static mindset so I think the ability to grow and refine your writing skills is it's an American thing but it's uh, something I really enjoy about UIC that a lot of people have this growth mindset and that's one thing I enjoy and that one thing I would like to praise about the history department in terms of some things I don't like uh, there's not enough history courses on certain areas of the world uh, I would say Asia is very lacking uh, Africa only has one I know that they're looking for some other departments but I would say Asia Asia's yeah the big one because I think Asia if you look at Asia it's been a major economic and cultural hub for so many years and it's only one or two classes so and there's not even classes on post on communist china i think that's something that would be really interesting because i think some people on the left and the right have incorrect ideas about china some people on the left praise china which is insane and there are some people on the right who say oh china's China's bad, uh, totally bad. Like, uh, I think that interpretation is a little bit more correct, but there are some good things that went on in communist China, but generally I think the right is correct that China's not generally really a benevolent power, uh, but a lot of them are not very critical of the United States and what the United States has done. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's like a major thing, like lack of China. Uh, I also think... Uh, yeah, uh, the thing about UIC is with the student teachers, uh, it's trying to fix the teacher shortage at CPS. I think the major issue a lot of people have with CPS is having to live in Chicago. And living in Chicago is not very convenient. For example, this is not like your typical European city where public transit is readily available. While, while CTA is probably one of the better public transit systems in the United States, uh, it's still not adequate enough. There's To get a bus across the city, it takes too long. It's not worth it. Public transit isn't reliable. Bikes are, we pretend, uh, Chicago pretends to be a friendly bike city, but in reality, it's really not. So I think that's one major thing uh, I do not like about the city of Chicago or American cities in general. I think if it was more of a European style city where you have you have middle class people, you have upper class people, and you have lower class people, I think the middle class has pretty much moved out of uh, cities and they've been went to suburbs where there's a lot more land, there's a lot more opportunity, housing isn't as expensive. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have moved to suburbs uh, along with white flight, obviously uh, not wanting some people who are just inherently racist who don't want to see uh, black and brown people uh, but I think that's a conversation for another day uh, but yeah I think uh, the requirement kind of turns a lot of people off like I don't want to live in the city of Chicago it's a, there are a lot of negative things associated like property is very expensive rents very expensive uh, when compared to other places but yeah I like I've been considering moving to Oregon or moving to Europe because a lot of things about Chicago I'm not very happy about all the corruption in Illinois, the corruption in Chicago, 
is just something I really don't like. So I'd rather go to another state. Uh, I'm honestly open. I, I know Tennessee's pretty popular right now uh, in Kentucky. I think Tennessee's a really fast-growing city along with Idaho and Montana. Oregon, I've heard, is pretty nice, but there's a lot of very nice cities, uh, uh, cities and states I can consider. So, yeah, that's something uh, maybe I'll discuss a little bit later on what cities I really like and I haven't been to because in terms of uh, traveling the U.S., I have not been to many cities. Uh, I have crossed Kentucky. I have crossed Nashville before, but I've never been to the West Coast. I've been to Florida before. I've, been, I've crossed through a lot of the states because... My parents uh, drove to Florida because they thought it would be more cost-effective at the moment. But yeah, that's one major thing about the United States and Illinois. I'm not really a big fan. I like Chicago. I like the people of Chicago. I like how a lot of people in the Midwest, or specifically Chicago, are multicultural. You can understand a lot of people because I hear a lot of people. I hear people are Mexican, people who are black, who people who are Eastern European, Western European, and I can understand them all, which is pretty unique. Like, for example, in the South, I'm not really the biggest fan of the Southern accent. I know some people like it. It's a very subjective thing, but like, I don't know. For me, uh, I don't know. For me, with Southern people, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical. I, I think it's very, when they're very nice to me, I kind of get skeptical that, are these people really being nice to me? Are they being fake nice to me? I kind of get that with some Midwestern Midwestern people, too, people from the Midwest. Like, it's sort of a fake. Like, I, I don't really like that. I like people who are a little bit more genuine and people who are, like, unfiltered. I think that's something I value more, and I think that kind of gets me in trouble with some of my peers. Some of my peers don't really like that, hey, if this person wants to be unfiltered and say stuff you don't agree with, let them say it. I don't really care if they dis uh, if they disagree with me, and it's kind of offensive. I think they have the right to be offensive to some, to some degree. You can have the right to say, yeah, I don't agree with that, but I, I think a lot of people get really upset for like reasons that don't they're not worth getting that upset over. And it kind of puts the narrative of uh, college students being like social justice warriors who don't know anything about the real world and who can't take criticism. Uh, I, I know obvious uh, when I disagree with someone, a lot of the times I'll, I'll offer to talk about it because I think uh, talking about it's a really key thing. There's a lot of people who don't take me up on that offer. I'll say, okay, you disagree with me, let's talk about it. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it because I don't know if they think their ideas are indefensible. I don't know if they don't want to. I don't know if that's not their desired response. Uh, because I, I don't find talking on social media that useful either. Uh, recently, I actually cut, up, cut off social media. I deleted my Facebook. Uh, I haven't logged into my Instagram in like six or seven years, so... That's a that's basically getting off Meta or Facebook off of my uh, out of my life. Uh, in terms of other social Twitter, I, I'm very inactive on Twitter. I just look at Twitter just to see what people are saying, just to gauge the public discourse and what people are trying to, uh, what people are what's trending right now. I don't post at all. I don't reply to people's posts because honestly, I see it as a waste of time. Uh, wasting my time and energy getting upset over something that's, that doesn't really matter.
So that's why I don't use Twitter. I use Snapchat, but very occasionally. It's just to communicate with people who I don't want to give my phone number to or who it's easier for them to communicate with me through Snap. Like I'll post something maybe once in a blue moon. Uh, but yeah, I think cutting social media in terms of the effects of cutting it, uh, mentally you feel a lot better because I would go through Facebook and I would, uh, I believe it's called doom scroll. So the idea of doom scrolling is where you just keep scrolling, you keep scrolling, you keep scrolling and, uh, you don't stop and you just see as many ads as possible. And on top of that, uh, a lot of the big tech companies sell your information for money and, why would you give them that right? It's kind of like a hazy area. Uh, I know there are some attempts to break up some of those monopolies, and I think that's an interesting conversation to have. But, yeah, I don't like how they sell your information. Uh, same thing with Google. With my phone, I own an Android, and Google tracks where I go. So that's kind of scary. There's a lot of things that kind of scare me about the information era or whatever era you would uh, you would like to refer to is uh, there's not a lot of privacy right now. Your right to privacy is not really there. Uh, government can spy on you with Edward Snowden exposing that. And there's really, uh, yeah, privacy, Fourth Amendment's kind of out of the window right now with the Patriot Act and illegal spying, which uh, I, I, I know some people think it's necessary for safety, but... There are some, sometimes your civil liberties uh, shouldn't triumph uh, uh, public safety, but I, I have no, like, uh, having a government official just watch you sleep or watch you make breakfast, it's just kind of weird and kind of dystopic, dystopia-like. So I, I think that's kind of crossing the line. While there's like certain other things, like you have the recent vaccine debate where people are saying, oh, it's my body, my choice. And you also have what I find kind of ironic is you also have abortion ad uh, advocates saying the same thing. And both sides don't agree with each other on uh, that particular debate. So I think that's uh, really interesting how they both use the same rhetoric of my body, my choice. Uh, with abortion, it's a little bit different than vaccines. Um, when you want to get an abortion, you're only affecting that person. And um, it's kind of uh, hazy. When do you determine when life starts? Uh, does it start at the moment of conception? Does it start later? So you'd have to you'd have to define what, uh, what's life. And if you believe at conception's life, there's a lot of interesting conversations you could have. Like, for example, if I hooked you up to a living being that can't live without you, uh, do you have the right to disconnect? I, someone posed this question to me, and I've posed it to a lot of people who have claimed to be pro-life. Personally, abortion's not a big issue for me. Uh, I prefer more economic stuff, but as someone who doesn't believe in tyranny and authoritarian governments, it's, pro it's probably, I would consider myself more pro-choice, but do you have the right to disconnect yourself? And a lot of people who are pro-life kind of have trouble with that question when you pose that question and I think it's a really interesting question to discuss uh, if I hook you up to a machine to some to some living being and uh, he has no hope of living or if I disconnect he dies do you have uh, should you have the right to disconnect 
Uh, I think that's a very interesting question. It's something uh, a lot of people don't consider when they get their stance. They just say, hey, I'm an evangelical Christian, or I'm not a Christian, or whatever religion they are. And I, I believe uh, in pro-life uh, based on biblical stuff. And we can discuss on how that's a little hazy. If you read the Bible, there's not really a lot on abortion if you read it. So, yeah, that's that's something that's really hazy and very controversial. But in terms of the decision, uh, I guess I'll give my take. I think the Supreme Court is going to either weaken or overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think uh, this should change the narrative on the 2022 midterms. It'll give the Dems a little bit of a boost. I don't know if it'll make it so they'll maintain their trifecta they have right now. Very unlikely considering gerrymandering right now, which is honestly terrible. I, I hate when Dems and Republicans both do gerrymandering. It's just uh, very undemocratic. You try to make it so your team, it's kind of like a team mentality in the United States where you're on blue team, you want red team to lose, you're on red team, you want blue team to lose, kind of like this polarization that's happened. And it's something I really don't like. And I see a lot of people who agree with each other on a lot of the issues, but they're so tied up with, oh, you're not on my team, you're on the blue team, that they don't have this sort of solidarity. They're like, oh, on like a lot of the issues that don't really matter, like they're very culture war-like, um, that really don't matter in, in the grand scope of things. Like they matter to some extent, but they don't matter economically. Like I, I believe a lot of people do agree on economic policies. Uh, like I'll give an example here. I talked to someone about uh, healthcare. Uh, they were, they were telling me they don't like Obamacare. They think it should be repealed. And I'm like, okay, you want to repeal Obamacare. Okay. What's your plan? They'll say, oh, my plan is to regulate the pharmaceutical industry, blah, 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 It'll protect pre-existing conditions. Basically, they describe to me some form of Obamacare. So, okay, you just described to me Obamacare, but you said Obamacare doesn't work. I think a lot of people don't understand their positions. They just vote for R or D because that's their team. And I think that team mentality needs to go out, whether that's adding ring choice voting whether that's uh, adding, uh, making, making uh, more direct ballot initiatives. So, like for example, um, Florida, a $15 minimum wage actually passed in a state that uh, Republicans overwhelmingly control. So, I think that's that's honestly shocking to see. So, a lot of these policies are popular, and they're not, uh, and and they're voting for politicians who don't support these policies. So. That's, that's, that's a very interesting discussion uh, to be had that why do people vote against their own interests? And I've read a lot of books on that, but that's a very interesting thing. But yeah, uh, yeah, in terms of all that political stuff, in terms of more history-related stuff, uh, yeah, a lot of the classes I've taken have been more about Europe. Uh, because I generally love studying Europe. I think Europe is a very interesting place. Uh, there's a lot of wars associated with it. There's your Roman Empire, your Byzantine Empire, your Holy Roman Empire, uh, your Nazi Germany. Uh, you have uh, 
your Soviet, your Soviet Union. You have a lot of very interesting multicultural empires. You have the founding of the nation state. You have colonialism. You have a lot going on in Europe. Uh, and uh, my area of expertise has been ancient history and U.S. history to some ex uh, extent, which, uh, which is kind of weird. I thought my specialty would be solely in Europe and it would be more modern. So that's uh, something that changes based on what classes are offered at your university is kind of what you know the most of. Like, uh, like for my research, senior research paper, I've already completed it. I did it my junior year, which was really crazy, uh, was on populism because no one, everyone in that class was doing a, a paper on something more recent, Vietnam, uh, prohibition was actually, someone actually did want prohibition. I thought that was interesting, but it was like, Everyone was doing something 1900s. I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to do something in the 1800s. And I thought the populists are pretty cool and it was pretty relevant today. How uh, you have uh, someone who used populist rhetoric to win and how a lot of academics don't actually like them. And that's kind of reflected in the historiography of the, of the populists and their movement as farmers and their desires. And you could draw some parallels, um, like I was mentioning earlier with big tech. If big tech gets breaking up, we might uh, change from a populist era or, or quote-unquote populist era to a more progressive era. And uh, for some people, that's something they would like. And for other people, that's something uh, they don't want. So looking at historical trends is something I really like. But yeah, in terms of, yeah, in terms of looking at historical trends, I guess... I guess I'll talk about something that's not related to history, but uh, I, I haven't stated this uh, in the podcast before. But if you know me, I'm a huge anime fan. I love Japan. I would love to go there. I'm embraced in the culture. I read a lot of manga. I watch anime when I can. I've seen, I think, over 100 minimum. That's just what I've recorded of anime. And I was thinking about something the other day. So Dragon Ball Z, I believe, was the first anime I watched, or it was something else, or it was something else. Maybe Speed Racer, um, if you can, or Astro Boy might have been the first one. But I was considering, like, is Dragon Ball in Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball DT, the Dragon Ball franchise, actually a good anime? Like, I was thinking about it like I've rewatched it recently, and I didn't get the same level of enjoyment. I've seen anime with uh, much deeper stories, much better characters, such as Code Geass, Death Note, The Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Full Metal Alchemist, uh, Fruits Basket. I think uh, those are superior anime, and I think there's kind of like a nostalgia factor with Dragon Ball, uh, where... You, you think it's better than it actually is. Uh, I don't know what the psychological term. I'm not someone who studies psychology a lot, even though I'm licensed to teach a psychology class. Uh, not an AP, but a regular level. But that's not, that's not a social science I'm familiar with. But there's like the sort of nostalgia. Like I when I look at the story, if Dragon Ball wasn't on there, I think the story is there's a lot of plot holes. I think it's there's a lot of poor writing too. Um, like for example, with the five minutes, uh, thing with, uh, Frieza, I thought like, uh, it goes on for, I don't know how 
four hours or the fight's four hours. I think it maybe goes on for some time. And the theory is that fights and the fights are in slow motion. So that might be a possibility, but a lot of things are like retconned, like, oh, the Patari earrings are permanent fusion, for example. And then, oh, no, they're not. They're only temporary because they're not gods. I think a lot of it's just poor writing. Like, for example, Saiyans have tails. Then uh, Gohan has a tail, but it's, but Trunks and uh, Goten don't have tails. So, like, there's a lot of inconsistencies. I don't think Akira Toriyama is that great of a writer. I think uh, Dragon Ball came out at the right time, along with Sailor Moon. I think Sailor Moon's a little bit better than Dragon Ball, looking... Because I've recently seen it, Sailor Moon supposed to is supposed to appeal to more female audience, while Dragon Ball is more for a male audience uh, at the time. That's how they kind of branded it, gendered thing. But there's a lot of people who enjoy both, who identify as male and identify as female. But what I think uh, is interesting about um, Dragon Ball is there's this sort of nostalgia, like uh, oh, this is a, I watched this when I was a kid. I was probably eight or nine years old when Dragon Ball Z Kai came out, maybe a little bit older, but I loved, I like it was uh, so cool because before I was only watching cartoons and a lot of cartoons are very, a lot of American animation is very corny, it's very like dumb, it's not very smart. Uh, the only American cartoon I think that encompasses the anime is Avatar The Last Airbender, which I actually watched as a kid. I didn't finish it until later, maybe when I was like 12, 13. Uh, but uh, I was watching it as a kid, and I actually liked it. And uh, the reason why I liked this because I like the idea of the four elements. I like the idea of uh, there being an avatar and all-powerful being who can bend all four elements. And I liked Zuko. I love the characters. And it's one of the few shows where I can name a lot of the minor and the major characters with... Uh, with Dragon Ball, there's there's not that phenomena either. Like, there's a lot of minor characters. I don't know their names. And I'm not really a hardcore fan. Um, I personally think if you're going for that type of show in genre, I think uh, a Yu Yu Hakusho is a much better show uh, than Dragon Ball. But I think Dragon Ball has more of that cultural impact of bringing anime to the West because it's, uh, it's very easy to get into. Like, the story is very easy to understand. I think the original Dragon Ball is better than, uh, I don't know. I think the original Dragon Ball is better than what a lot of people give it credit for. I think it's better written, but I think Dragon Ball Z is more famous. That part, Dragon Ball Z is more famous because a lot of people, they start at Dragon Ball Z like I did uh, because it's uh, very easy to get into the fights. The stakes get higher. Both Dragon Ball, it's more like... Uh, there's still high stakes, but it's not the powers. The power scaling is just not there. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I think if it if it was released today, I think it would be an average anime. It wouldn't be considered uh, a great or one that people love. If people adore it, it has such a cult following. Uh, I think even the new Dragon Ball Super is kind of uh, getting that sort of hype that oh, this is Dragon Ball, so it gets. Like, uh, it gets a pass in some respects, and it doesn't get a pass in some respects. Like, I remember earlier, some of the animation wasn't that great, and people were complaining and saying, like, oh, this animation sucks, and uh, they compare it to, like, movies, and I think uh, that's not fair. 
that's not fair as with movies you have like a huge budget to make the animation look as sexy as you want it to be so yeah i, I don't know i i'm not a big fan of i like dragon ball like i think it's a very average show but i think uh the impact it's had kind of makes people not see it as an average show where I think something like Yu Hakusho, released around the same time, is a lot better, uh, has better characters, and I think it has a better story, at least for some of the arcs. But I think uh, Frieza, I think a lot of the villains are very iconic. I think uh, the Saiyan race is very iconic, and I think uh, that kind of brings a lot of people into anime, and it kind of shows them, like, yeah, this is a new genre, Uh it's not just cartoons where people make stupid jokes. Uh, like I'm trying to think of Ben 10, Ben 10's kind of like that superhero thing. Uh, SpongeBob, which SpongeBob's a little, sometimes you consider it a little stupid. You might grow out of it, but if you're as an adult, it's, I, I have no idea why it's a kid's show, but yeah, that's one major thing. I really like, um, having the ability to see the anime appreciate it at the time being able to look back and not think it's that great uh because honestly i don't watch i I, honestly i have no plans of watching it i watch more dragon ball z abridged i think those guys get the series a lot better because it's more comedic and it's more uh it gets this general story but it puts like a comedic twist on it and i think that's more beneficial than anything else and I, and uh, like Dragon Ball, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, a lot of it too, even having the physical Dragon Balls, I think makes it so like if someone dies, it's not very impactful, if you get what I mean. Like you can just wish them back with the Dragon Balls if they died. Uh, like the stakes, like sure, they're high, but you have the Dragon Balls at the end. So like a lot of the deaths don't feel like they have a lot of value. Whereas if you take something like uh, Code Geass, where, spoiler alert, uh, where Shirley dies, where Lelouch tries to use the Geass to make sure she doesn't die, she lives, uh, Shirley dies. Shirley's dead. That's it. That's it. Shirley's dead. No more. She's gone. Uh, There's no bringing her back. Uh, That power Lelouch had, the Geass, he couldn't couldn't uh, prevent her from dying. Uh, so I think that's a lot better when deaths have consequences. And I think Dragon Ball, that's one of the biggest mistakes it makes. Uh, not making deaths have consequences a lot of the times. Uh, I do think it's culturally impactful. And I, I do watch Dragon Ball Super occasionally. But it's not something I'm looking forward to watching. It's not something that's on top of my list. It's not something that I've watched a lot of anime, like Legend of the Galactic Heroes level. I think Legend of the Galactic Heroes is like the cream of the crop of anime, where I put Dragon Ball towards the middle. It's not the worst, because uh, it's not the worst. If it came out today, I would consider it terrible, but it's not the best. So that's something that I think a lot of people need to acknowledge about their favorite anime, or even their TV show. Like, there's a lot of TV shows I've seen as a kid or movies now, if we look back, they're so bad. They're not very good. It's just the nostalgia factor kind of goes in and makes it seem like it's a lot better than, than it actually is. But yeah, in terms of that, in terms of uh, 
what I do recommend in terms of anime, Code Geass, obviously. I love Code Geass. There's some alternative history in there. There's some political stuff in there. There's there's uh, the idea of uh, people wearing a mask. I, I really like that. Death Note is something that kind of suffers from the Dragon Ball Z treatment, but I think it's a little bit better because uh, Death Note kind of introduces you to the larger genre, Dragon Ball introduces you just to what anime is, like it exists, while Death Note introduces you to like this vast genre. I know people think Death Note's like an 8 or 7, but I think it's fantastic because of its cultural impact, and it's still a pretty well-written show uh, to the extent that it is uh, for the first season. But yeah, that's like another example of something where nostalgia might creep up on me. Uh, I do recommend Death Note, Full Metal Alchemist, uh, Fruits Basket, and there's a bunch of different genres to an anime. Uh, there's not just one genre. Like uh, when people think anime, oh, it's just fighting. No, Fruits Basket, for example, is a slice of life Sujo anime, and I think it's a very good one at that. Even though they're not trying to appeal to me, they're trying to appeal to other people. I enjoy it. So yeah, in terms of anime, that's pretty much my rant on Dragon Ball and all those other ones. But also I'll talk about like Japanese culture. I'm I'm actually very interested in going in going to Japan. Uh, like I've been analyzed I've been looking into Japan. One major thing I've looked at is their declining population. And looking at how in the nineties they were they had the potential of being uh, this sort of uh, superpower being able to maybe surpass the United States, but because birth rates and fertility rates began to decline, the economy eventually crashed, uh, leading to like uh, all the gains being wiped out. So it shows like um, there the the main reason is people stopped having babies and kids, but also they didn't try to counteract that with immigration. And uh, I know a lot of people are like, immigration's bad, but every economic study I've read indicates that Im immigration is good regardless of if it's legal or illegal. And I think Japan's a prime example of what happens when you stay closed off. Uh, yeah, I, I obviously love uh, video games. Obviously, I love Nintendo. I played Nintendo since I was a little kid. Mario, Zelda, Metroid, Super Smash Bros., I think Nintendo, I think uh, their mindset when making games, they try to make a quality product where I think a lot of the American studios, uh, they just try to crank something out to make as much money as possible. And I think that mindset kind of uh, makes the Americans seem like they're lazy. Uh, it makes Americans just seem like they're greedy. They don't want to keep their customer. They don't really care about the customer. And... Yeah, there's a lot of cultural differences that I think uh, Americans could learn from. Uh, yeah, like, for example, like they always give good service. They don't expect a tip, but tipping is a little bit. Uh, there's some nuance to that, obviously. Uh, tipping is because uh, the, uh, the owner doesn't want to raise the prices and make the meal not seem very expensive. So he passes uh, the cost of paying his employee on to the person who... Uh, purchases the food uh, to subsidize their wages. So they're getting paid a uh, minimum wage, whatever that is, uh, $7.25 or, or whatever that is. But, yeah, I think the United States, there's, there's a lot of differences. 
And I think uh, that's something that's uh, that you can learn from. I think learning from other cultures is something uh, I really enjoy to do on the side. Uh, with history, you have to learn about other cultures. You can't just uh, stick into a mindset of being static like, oh, this is not relevant at all. Like, I shouldn't learn about their culture because culture is a very important thing. Like, for example, there are probably some people who look at the United States strangely and think our culture is exotic or uh, strange. So I, I don't blow off any cultures because there's a lot of differences. There, there are some differences that I may not accept or others may not accept uh, as differences. Uh, yeah, but I think uh, the way you frame it is obviously the, the best thing to do. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, what are my plans for after the semester, uh, my plan is to student teach. I don't know where. I should know any day now, but uh, my plan is to student teach, and I'm thinking about either uh, taking a year off. I'm considering getting Greek citizenship because uh, Greek, Greece is an EU member state. And being an EU membership allows you to travel freely, travel and maybe work. So maybe I can go somewhere in the EU and possibly look for some work over there. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would love to travel Europe. I think Europe is a fantastic place. There's a lot of historical uh, monuments and uh, sites over there in Europe. But and I think uh, the mindset of a lot of Europeans is very interesting too. Like I said with. Japan and my uh, obsession with anime, uh, I think Europeans have a very interesting way of how they plan their cities, how their cities are structured, and how it's a little bit more carefree in some of uh, your Eastern European uh, cities. And I think that's uh, a very beneficial thing uh, to consider when uh, talking about Europe and talking about maybe wanting to move. If you want to move to Europe, uh, I think that's something you should consider if you really want to do it. And uh, I think one thing is to never stop uh, considering to move because I think it's never too late to move. A change of scenery is always beneficial to someone who wants to uh, maybe learn something new, maybe um, take on some new challenges like myself. But yeah, I think that's another interesting thing in terms of uh, things I'm looking forward to. Uh, student teaching is something I'm looking forward to. From what I've heard, it's basically a full-time job, and you're going to be doing a lot of work. So, yeah, I'm expecting a lot of work. I'm not expecting to put minimum effort into student teaching. I'm going to try to put as much effort. It's kind of like an audition. So if I want to go teach, I'll have that opportunity for me. But, yeah, that's that's one. I'll have that opportunity for me. And if I don't, I could play chess for a year. That's something I'm considering because I'm excel I've excelled very rapidly at chess and I've gotten better in a very short period of time because I understand a lot of things better. That's something I'm considering uh, as someone who is an intermediate, I would consider myself intermediate to late beginner player uh, who went from like just a beginner noob uh, maybe playing in some tournaments and just enjoying myself and enjoying life uh, and just playing something I really like. 
Uh, yeah, in terms of other experience of experiences I've had, I actually went to a bar for the first time uh, because of COVID. Most bars were closed, and I wasn't really comfortable going to a lot of bars. I didn't know what the environment was like, but I actually went to one, and it was uh, like for me, I stood out. Like a lot of the bar, the bartender was like, "Oh." Have you ever or did you just turned 21? I'm like, no, I'm 22. I, I just came here because I wanted to experience it because I, I've never been to a bar. So going to a bar is a new experience. In terms of what I got to drink, initially I got a Miller Lite. I'm not a really big fan of most beers. If I get beers, I'll get some European beers. So Stella. Heineken, those are my my go-tos when it goes to beer. I don't drink them all usually, or I'll drink half of it or three-quarters of it because I just don't like beer. I'm not a really big beer drinker. I've never really been a big beer drinker. Wine, to go to a bar, wine's kind of out of the question for me. Uh, When you get wine when you're at home or you're, like, sitting and you're just chilling, you have a meal with you, so, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, in terms of, uh, so, what I was getting and I actually enjoyed, I got maybe three or four vodka, vodka mixed with orange juice. I got orange juice because I like more fruit fruit flavors. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I, I think uh, mixing vodka with uh, some drinks is something that's uh, really appealing for some people. But the problem I think um, you can run into is once you start drinking, once I was on my third or fourth, you start to feel this little buzz because you don't know you're drinking alcohol. You don't feel it. Like with a beer, you know you're drinking a beer. You know you're drinking the Miller Lite. And it's nasty. But, yeah, with, uh, with tequila, no, not tequila, sorry, tequila shots. No, I didn't drink any hard, hard liquor, but with vodka, it feels like you drink, you drink something, you drink another, you drink another, you don't feel it, but once you feel it, you you feel it. So, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, that's one thing of note. Uh, I did like it. I did like it. Even though I kind of stood out, I just didn't know what to do. It was like I didn't feel like I wanted to be there because I'm like, hey, hey, I'm not comfortable here. I don't, I've never been here. A lot of people from my high school were over there. So it was just kind of awkward for me, like, oh, I don't know how bar culture is or anything like that in the United States. I know it's a little bit more open in Europe uh, where people are able to drink at 16 rather than 21. In some places, Germany is the one that comes to mind for me. But, yeah, I did go to a bar. It was it did some karaoke over there. They had some karaoke, uh, did some karaoke over there. That was pretty fun. But, yeah, that was something really interesting and I don't know. I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm not someone who drinks a lot. R- very rarely I'll drink. Uh, but at the end of the semester, I'll, I'll probably go to a bar, uh, get a couple drinks, and just have a good time. Because with some alcohol, you loosen up. You kind of open up. You kind of relax. And I think for me, if I'm relaxed and I'm open, I play a lot better. Not play. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about getting into that test mindset again. But I, I just feel a lot better. I just am more open to interacting with people. Like, I think uh, before college, I think I didn't want to interact with people a lot. I think uh, 
I wanted to avoid interaction and in the beginning, but I think as I've grown a little bit older, I think talking to people, you have to talk to people. You can't be someone who's shut off. I know there are a lot of people who you don't, who you don't want to talk to at all. That's fine. Uh, I have those people. Uh, I try to reach out to them. If we have a disagreement, I, I talked about this earlier, but just talking to people I think is really beneficial. If you see someone, um, strike up a conversation, whether they're, um, yeah, just strike up a conversation with them. Hey, I like your shoes or whatever. Hey, oh, you're a fan of this. And I think a lot of those conversations uh, are really interesting. I like a uh, nice tattoo. I know that's a stereotypical conversation. But when you, a lot of the friendships I've built in college have been not based on academics actually they've been based on oh you're a history major like it initially starts like that but we talk about a little bit more than that we'll talk about some political stuff we'll talk about some other stuff outside of uh school where i think in high school is just all about school for me and in high school i wasn't really someone who was really active and who really wanted to take those sort of risks that i should have and uh, do I have regrets? Not really. I think uh, being an introvert at some point, I would still consider myself uh, somewhat introverted, but I'm more willing to take risks uh, and go out of the way. I think I'm trying to cover for that weakness. And I think being able to, uh, yeah, cover for that weakness and being able to try to find some people to interact with, I think uh, the main way I've tried to fix that is I go to a chess club, two chess clubs every week. Uh, if I have time, uh, last couple of weeks I went to the opera. I'll, I'll talk about my experience after I, I finish the thought. But so I go to two chess clubs, one uh, in Oak Lawn and one in uh, Romeoville. And I meet a lot of people there. Um, m most of them are older than me. Some of them are little kids. But you meet people and you talk to them and you get to know them and you get to learn about them. You get to learn some interesting things. And I think uh, I did an interview on a chess podcast um, where I talked about this exact same idea. You get to meet people, and I think meeting people's best thing, uh, best thing to meet new people. And I think a chess club or any kind of club, whatever you like to do, uh, reading club or whatever, is a really good way to meet new people and uh, just get yourself out there. And I think getting yourself out there, it's very difficult, but once you do it, it's something uh, that's very valuable. Like I'm. I've met a lot of people who I really like. Like, for example, my chess teacher, I talked to him, and he was saying, uh, like, uh, he was talking about books with me, and I was saying, yeah, I don't really like uh, Frank, whoever wrote Dune. Sorry, I'm blanking on his name. I know his name's Frank Herbert, Hubert, something like that. I said, hey, I don't really like how he writes the first half of Dune. Like, I got so bored because he was talking, it was like a manuscript, and, like, he's like, yeah, he wrote manuscripts, and we talked about literature, and for me, I don't. I haven't read a lot of fictional literature. That's not my specialty. I'm more of a historian, but a lot of fictional literature can be applied to some historical concepts. But I talked to him, and we had a nice conversation. And now I'm a little bit. I'm not as afraid as I used to be to talk to people and have a conversation. And I think uh, college has kind of helped me with that, uh, especially lately. Especially lately. Uh, with the pandemic, it's actually helped me open up a little bit more, whereas some people, it's kind of closed off. So I'm a little bit weird. I'm a little bit weird in that extent. The pandemic is where I actually thrived. 
uh, having virtual classes. And before I didn't like going on campus because, oh, hey, I'm wasting my time. I'm going to be driving the UIC. I don't want to drive there when I don't need to. But with Zoom, hey, I can get on my Zoom. I can uh, talk to my professor. I can ask him some questions. It's good. It's good. And I can ask him some things. And I think that's very good and is very easy to do now. Very accessible. And I think Zoom's here to stay. And I think uh, there's some benefits to that. You can interact with the professor when you can't make it to school. And if you need to talk about some stuff, you can talk it out with them. And you don't necessarily need that face-to-face -face interaction. While that face-to-face -face interaction is great, I, I love it. Uh, it's not needed in some situations. If you just need to ask a minor question or you need to ask for some feedback, uh, you can email. But if you want to ask clarifying questions, the Zoom's really good. I think uh, Zoom is here to stay, and I think some classes might stay online forever because universities realize, oh, we don't need to keep a room running, electricity running. It's a lot cheaper to keep it virtually. And I think a lot of schools are going to realize that. So, yeah. And uh, I guess I'll end this off on my experience at the opera. So I saw two shows. So it's been around three to four weeks. I saw a show by the name of Magic Flute. It's a very famous opera. Uh, the music's by Mozart. And I, I really liked it. I really liked it. Uh, the Lyric Opera of Chicago, they did a very good job portraying it. So they had like a digital screen or something like that. It was really weird. But they did a very good job portraying it. And from what I've researched, uh, Magic Flute has a lot of dialogue. And they have did a really good job portraying the dialogue through visual effects. And the visual effects they did were amazing. It felt like I was watching a movie uh, through song. But it was like a lot better than a musical. Uh, I believe Magic Flute's in German. And I... I thought it was very nice in Germany. It was really pleasant. Um, and it's something, it's an opera I recommend. And the music is very good, obviously, too. With Mozart and all being uh, the the one who made the music for the opera. Uh, for me, I would love to see Wagner's opera. But that was like a couple of years ago. Uh, in terms of the other opera, I saw I saw an opera that's not as famous. It's called Florenza del Amazonias. So basically, what this opera is about, it's about uh, Spanish. It's a uh, opera in Spanish. I believe it's a Mexican opera uh, where uh, they travel to the Amazon in Brazil, like nineteen something, to go to an opera. I didn't like it as much as Magic Flute. I don't know. For me, because I understand Spanish, I have a pretty good understanding. Maybe that's why. And, uh, well, it's still kind of difficult to get the words, even if you understand the language. I don't know. I just didn't like the story. It just didn't seem as appealing uh, as Magic Flute. I think the story of Magic Flute was a lot better. It was uh, more coherent, and it was uh, more enjoyable. Like, I cared about all the characters. I cared about... Uh, Papino, uh, Papino is the major one I remember, in uh, the other two, the other two main characters. Uh, I'm blanking on their names, but I cared. But like with uh, with Florenza, I really didn't care about any of the characters. It just didn't interest me. Uh, the music was pretty good, obviously. I liked the music, but it wasn't something that appealed to me at all. It was something I was getting really bored at. 
And it was like what I thought an opera would be when I was a kid, like 18, 19, when I was not open to higher culture events. That's what I thought it would be. But I'm going to see one more, Tosca, which is going to be in uh, Italian, actually. And it's based in Rome. I love Rome. I'm taking uh, History 400 with Professor Kim. I'm almost done with it. Got to out. By this time, by the time this recorded, I'll fin- I'll have my essay finished, and maybe next episode I'll discuss it because a lot of people on the podcast are going are, are not available, so I might change it for just me for the next two weeks where I just talk about whatever is on my mind, and I think that's probably going to be better for the next couple weeks. In terms of what I expect from Tosca, I think Tosca is going to be a really good opera. From what I've looked up, uh, it's it's rated one of the best, uh, along with Magic Flute. So yeah, that's something I look forward to. Uh, and I always I, I like classical music to some extent. It's not my favorite genre. It's not my go-to. It's not something I'm going to put in my car all the time. But it's something I can enjoy and I can appreciate it. And uh, when a lot of people, when I say that to a lot of people, they think I study music for a living, but unfortunately I don't. Uh, it would be kind of convenient being a music guy, being a chess player, and uh, and uh, doing what I do, knowing a lot of literature too. It would be, be kind of convenient. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, what I'm going to be doing with the podcast uh, now, so for the next two episodes it's just going to be me where i just discuss random things and i talk about it might be a political event if i think a political event's uh, really interesting like uh i talked about the abortion stuff earlier and i think it's really interesting how some people are pro-life some people are pro-choice uh the anime thing i think was pretty interesting maybe i might talk about a specific anime that i really like and uh, I didn't really talk about any history. I talked about more current events since that's uh, what I'm interested in talking about. But maybe next week I'll talk about some of my research into the populace that I did. I actually read four or five books in it. Maybe that might be in for next episode. And uh, I'll talk about my experience, uh, more of my experiences uh, at a chess club. Uh, we're going to have a pizza party. And I'll talk about how my semester actually went. Did I have a good semester? Did I have a bad semester? So far, I'm so stressed out. Uh, by the time this released, it should be done. But I just want to get an episode out there, and I just want to keep consistent, keep it consistent, and make sure this podcast can keep going on, even uh, if I don't have a professor to interview, because right now everyone's so busy. I contacted people well far in advance, and they said, oh, yeah, I'm so busy right now. Understandable, but... I have to find a way to get some episodes on and uh, just talk, just talk, and just uh, talk. Uh, even if I'm talking to myself, I just uh, put some interesting ideas out there. Whether you agree with them or you disagree with them, it's just the beauty. You can listen to some of my ideas, and it's really interesting. And hopefully, I'll have someone uh, that I actually disagree with on my next time I bring a professor on. So. I'll look forward to that in a couple weeks. If uh, I can't get a professor in that time frame, you might see me for another episode. But next two up, next episode is going to be just be me. So I'll discuss something, uh, something interesting like I did today. And uh, so this is the end of episode six. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, not watching. <laughs>